I want to continue to speak on faith this morning. Last week we started to speak about living by faith, and, and quite honestly we never really kind of got through where we were going because God just kind of interrupted and uh, trying to change the direction in a good way. Uh, but I want to continue to talk about faith because faith is, uh, faith is a large topic. And uh, quite honestly, we could talk about faith every Sunday, probably forever, and never even begin to con- grasp the concept and really what it means to have the faith that God wants us to have. Because faith is a requirement of us, by the way. God requires faith. If he's going to be pleased with me, he, I must have faith. And we're going to talk about why that is the case. But, but let's, let's just continue on with the, the definition. And last week we defined it. In a dictionary, as faith is a belief or a trust or a devotion to or a trust in somebody or something, especially without logical proof. And I think that's the key word to faith because I can believe something logically easier than I can believe something that's not logical. There's a lot of things in God's word that requires faith to believe. Uh, we started to talk a little bit about that in Sunday school this morning when we talked about the Scripture being God's Word. And then we tried to talk about God being fully God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How do, we, how do you really understand that? How do you really grasp one God, three persons? Um, maybe superficially we can say, yeah, we got it, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But when you peel the layers off that and try to understand what that really is. It's, it's hard. I don't know that the human brain can really comprehend uh, the way God has, what, the, what God is. Um, he's a, and, that, and that's what makes him so awesome. Uh, that's what makes God so worth worshiping because I can't fully understand him. If I could fully understand God, then I could become like God. So I'll never fully understand God. But it takes faith. That's why God says it takes faith to be pleased by God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is an expression of our trust in God in things we're told about without ever seeing them with our natural eyes. Faith requires of us to get out of our comfort zone. It requires us to get out of our natural ability to see things, but yet believe things based upon God's Word. And I want to continue to talk about faith, what it is and how crucial it is to our lives. First of all, what, where does faith come from? Where does faith come from? God creates mankind with an element of faith that's just naturally built into our spiritual DNA. There is a measure of faith that we all are born with. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says it this way, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So God has assigned each and one of us a measure of faith. So no man can say, I have no faith. Because God has predetermined it. He has pre-assigned each of us to have a measure of faith. The question becomes, though, what do we do with that faith? What do we do with it? Do we build upon it as a strong foundation? 
or do we squander it and waste it? See, we're all given free choice. We're all given the ability to make a decision with that faith. God gives me the faith. He gives you the faith. No man can say that God doesn't give me a faith to believe in God because he has. Now it determines what I do with it by what I choose to do with it. And this initial faith is given to all people regardless of your ultimate decision to either reject it or pursue it. An atheist is given faith. They just choose to believe or not believe. They believe in something. They were given faith. You can't deny that. The Bible says you cannot deny that. So no man can go on to say that God has not given me faith. No man has the excuse when he stands before God, God, I didn't have the faith to believe in you because we've been given the measure of faith. Now that's just the beginning, however. A person needs to go on to develop this faith by studying God's word and by hearing the word of God and then by applying that into his life. And, and then we will have proper growth of that faith. Let me make two statements here that regard God's intention for man regarding faith and God's desire for all of mankind. Number one, God intends for every man to be saved. God intends for every man, woman, child, every person. He wants everyone to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all man, man, mankind would come to him. And number two, God has given every man enough faith to call out to him to be saved, if they would. He's not given any man not enough faith to be saved. No man can say, God, you didn't give me enough faith. Because it's God's intention that all men be saved. God would never give you not enough to accomplish what he wants you to do. So therefore, all men have enough faith to be saved. But unfortunately, not all men will be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus came for all people, not just a select few. But why is it, though, that some won't receive it? Some will reject it, kind of like we talked about during worship, how God's, God wants to bring us all into his embrace. But yet some of us will stiff-arm God. We'll stiff-arm him and say, no, God, not now. No, that's not the way I want to do it. Well, I feel bad for people that stiff-arm God. I really do. My heart goes out to him because God has got so much good for us. He has so much in store for those that would, just re would openly receive from him. We're, we're given a measure of faith with that. Who gets saved and who doesn't? Well, the people that take the measure of faith that God has measured out into our lives and builds upon that into a saving knowledge of faith at an increased amount, those are the ones that will ultimately Apply the blood of Christ to their life that Jesus shed for us. Nothing I can do on my own to be saved. It, it is accepting the blood of Christ. He did it. He did the work. I, I just have to accept it and apply it. And I have to have the faith to believe that what he did is enough to cover my sin. No matter what I've done. No matter what I've done, his blood is enough to cover my sin. That's the faith that we need to have to please God. 
Romans 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 9 through 10, it tells us, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That's the level of faith that God gives every mankind. Now, that is just the beginning point, though. Right? That is where we... That's, the, that's salvation 101. That is Christianity in the first level. And we kind of talked about it last Wednesday night. Matt Chandler brought it up. And he said, the reason that most people struggle in their Christianity in, in their, and makes making their salvation so difficult is because they focus all of their effort on the moment of their conversion rather than living the next day and the next day and the next day. We have to grow up spiritually. Just like we have to grow up physically. We love babies. But yet we don't want our children to stay babies. Who wants a 30-year-old baby? Who wants to deal with that? We don't want that. No, it's the natural progression of life is that we grow up through those cute, cuddly stages, into those gangly teenage years, into those adult years, and then we repeat the cycle. Right? But we have to keep growing. We have to keep moving in our faith. We have to keep growing in it. We can't be comfortable with the measure that God gave us and expect Him to be pleased with it after 30 years of being a Christian. If my level of faith hasn't grown up in 30 years, then I'm not pleasing to God because He gave me the measure of faith to save me. Now I need to take that faith and build upon it and make a foundation of a strong, vibrant, growing Christian life that replicates myself. That I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm now used by God to be a tool, to be a vessel of Him, not to just be comfortable in my little boat of faith. That I just bounce along life's journey in my little boat all by myself. I'm not an island. No man is an island. And that's the problem that we have, in all honesty, with our churches today and our social society today is that we want to stay to ourselves too much. And we don't open ourselves up to other people. And we don't have faith in other people enough either. And we need people. We need churches. We need congregations to be strong and vibrant. And we need people in these seats next to each other to build on people's strength and their faith so that we can encourage each other. So important that we do that. Is faith required to be saved? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, we need to have God's faith, but it is just the elementary levels of faith. This is not the faith that we are to have. Is there more to life? Absolutely, there's more to life. There is more to life. And, and, and we're asked and, and we're told and we're instructed in God's word that God expects more faith from us than what he gave us initially. So God is the initial giver of the faith. And he is the ultimate author of additional faith. But here is the cooperative effort of God and mankind in that God says, I require you to have more faith but I'm going to hold you responsible to get it. I'm going to hold you responsible to build on your faith as you spend time with me. I'm not saying go out and get faith in a false religion. I'm not saying go out and make up your own faith because you can't do that. God is still the author of faith. But yet we're responsible, we're being held responsible for my own level of faith. I'm not responsible for yours, and you're not responsible for mine. 
I'm responsible to build my own level of faith. And now we're talking about how we do that. See, we have examples here where Jesus actually questioned people for their lack of faith. We have, a, we have an example here where I think we can kind of get a chuckle at, and that is old Peter. Everybody likes Peter, right? Peter is the guy that, that would be so presumptuous. He's the guy that would always do before he thinks. He would always stick his foot in his mouth. He would constantly jump out on things. He was so spontaneous. And I think that's why we like Peter, because we, we see Peter making mistakes all over the place. But yet, Jesus loved him. In fact, he became the rock, the little rock that Jesus built his church upon was the faith that Peter had, and Peter learned through the process of living how important it is to, to develop faith. The, thing, the, the example I love is when he walked on the water. Now here's Peter and the guys in a boat, kind of a rough night, I'm assuming, waves and wind and stuff blowing, and, and they see this ghost walking across the water because they got in the boat and Jesus was still on the shore. Jesus was not in, he did not start out in the boat with them. So they're there in the middle of the night and it's dark and it's windy and the guys are, who knows what they're talking about, but probably all a little bit uptight. And they see this thing walking on the water. What would you think? I'd be a little nervous, a little scared, and they thought it was a ghost. But yet they called out and Jesus said, come out, come on. And so Peter, what did Peter do? Peter jumped out of the boat. Now how stupid is that? <laughs> I mean, think about it. He had enough faith when Jesus said, come, he didn't think. He just jumped out. Now, why would any man do that? Other than the fact he had enough faith to believe. So he jumped out of the boat. He had faith to believe that much. But let's, see, let's read and see what it says. Matthew chapter 14, verses 30 and 31. But when Peter, when he, when Peter saw the wind, after he, now he's on the waves. Imagine this, he's walking on the water. Standing on water. Wow. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? I mean, I would say Peter had great faith to jump out of the boat in the first place. Either that or he was stupid. Maybe both. Maybe faith requires some stupidity. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a way that we don't, we stop trusting on myself. I stop trusting in my own ability. I stop trusting in who I think I am. We, the first scripture we read is that God is, He warned us. He said, I say that you should not think of himself more highly than you ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Peter all of a sudden had all this faith that is illogical and that I can walk on water, and he jumped out. But like us in so many ways, we jump out and then we get afraid. And then fear sets in. If Peter would have kept his eyes on Jesus... I'm speculating here. But if he would have kept his eyes on Jesus and not thought about the wind and not thought about the waves, he probably would have walked right to him and never sank. 
But it's when he looked at the circumstances of life and when all of a sudden the pressures of life came on Peter, like it does to us, and all of a sudden we stop being illogical and start being logical, <laughs> that's where we get into trouble. So many times is that we then start thinking, well, now how am I going to fix it from here? God, you got me started, but now how am I going to fix it? Don't worry about it. That's faith. And we're going to continue to talk about how faith, how important that is. So, so Jesus said, you of little faith. Another example, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat, and this time Jesus is with them in the boat, and they set out to sail across the sea, and in the middle of the trip, the evening comes and the storm comes up. Let's read this. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 40. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. And there were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. That's my kind of man. <laughs> I mean, to think that a guy could sleep like that, I, I love that. To think that he could be in the middle of a storm and be sound asleep. Wow. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and he was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? There's that, there's that question again. Do you still have no faith? You know, they were in the will of God. Jesus would not have put them in the boat and then get in the boat with them and send them out into the sea and allow the storm to come up if they weren't in the will of God. Your life today, if you are a righteous man, if you are seeking the Lord, if you're living your life to the best that you can with the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're seeking His purpose day to day and being a righteous man, and I think it's important that we make the qualifications of striving to be a righteous man and to be a holy person and to be a peculiar person and a set-apart person, if you're that person and if the storms of life come at you, that doesn't mean you're not in the will of God. That doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong and that you're being punished. No, these men weren't being punished. They were not doing anything wrong. They were perfectly right. But yet the storm came and the fear came and Jesus, when they called out to Jesus, and that's the thing. Now, what would have happened if they wouldn't have called out to Jesus? What would have happened? Would the boat have sunk? I'm going to let you figure that one out. I don't know, and I'm not going to speculate that. But they were being swamped. It was serious. Water was coming in. They were being swamped, and they woke up Jesus. You know, chances are, maybe, maybe if they wouldn't have called out, if they wouldn't have said, Jesus, I need help, maybe the boat would have sunk and Jesus would have, maybe he would have floated on his cushion. And maybe he would have had his own life raft and the other guys would have had to swim to shore. And Jesus would have been on his cushion. I don't know. And it's not important. <laughs> so why am I going there? But the point is, is that we need to call out to Jesus. In our times of trouble, why do we think we don't need to call out to him? Are, are we so important to him that we don't need to call out? See, sometimes that's a lack of faith. Sometimes because I don't want to bother him, 
I don't want to, I don't want to bother you, God, because you've got more important things to do. So therefore, I'm not going to ask. If you don't ask, you don't receive. Right? That's why we need to have enough faith to call out. That's why we have times of prayer time. That's why we have times in our services to give time for people to come up and ask for prayer. I know that's humbling. I know that's embarrassing. I know that takes you out of your comfort zone. But I'm telling you, people, if we don't do that, then we're not exercising our faith. So it's important that we humble ourselves. And we come to him in our moments of trouble and ask for help. That's a good thing. But yet, we need to have faith. God holds each person responsible for our faith or lack thereof. God is pleased when a person has faith, and he's displeased when one doesn't have faith. See, God could not hold a person accountable if he was the giver of all the faith, if you weren't responsible to get your own faith, then God can never be displeased with you, right? I mean, if God says that I'm going to be pleased for people that have faith, then obviously we, he's giving us some accountability and our responsibility to grow our faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Not just improbable, it is impossible You cannot please God without faith. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if God is holding us responsible for our level of faith and he's holding us responsible for us to grow our faith, how do we do it? How do we do it? I think that's the answer we need to spend some time on. How do we do it? Romans 10, verse 17, in the New King James Version, it says this, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. All right? He does tell us how to get faith. Now, I tried to find a formula. (laughs) I tried over this week, I tried to go into Scripture and tried to get a bunch of other Scriptures to build up to, to give us a formula to make it easier to, to get faith in. Quite honestly, I, I couldn't find one. This is it. It is so basic. You get faith by the Word of God. By hearing it and by reading it. By hearing it. By, by you repeating the Word of God. By you getting your Bible out and you read to yourself, you proclaim to yourself the Word of God. That's how you build up your faith. I don't see any other way to do it. God doesn't say any other way. He says you get faith by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I did some other research and I I looked up some stuff and and Charles Spurgeon, who wrote this sermon in July 1st, 1855. And I don't think he had the internet in 1855 when he researched this sermon. So I think God must have laid some things in Charles Spurgeon's heart here, even though he's just a man. But yet I think we can learn from some of these, as Matt Chandler says, some of these old dead men, which I like the way he said that. But anyway, this this is what Charles Spurgeon said about faith. The heart's desire of the apostles, increase our faith. They did not say, Lord, keep our faith alive. 
Lord, sustain it as it is at present, but increase our faith. For they knew very well that it is only by increase that the Christian keeps alive at all. Napoleon once said, I must fight battles, and I must win them. Conquest has made me what I am, and conquest must maintain me. And so it is with the Christian. It is not yesterday's battle that will save me today. I must be going onwards. A wheel will remain erect as long as it moves. But when it begins to stand still, it falls. Christian men are saved by progress. Constantly going onwards keeps the Christian alive. If it were possible for me to stop, I know not where my life would be. The Christian must be going onward. So the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. It's a progressionary life of living. So what does that say to us today? It says that if I'm going to be pleasing to the Lord, and if I'm going to be a vibrant Christian, that I must learn, I must grow my faith, I must take my faith from that elementary faith of that measure that God gave me to save me. I must increase it. I must grow it. I must develop it. I must build a foundation on it. And then Spurgeon goes on and he says, the person to whom the apostles address their prayer. This is important too because it's not just about me getting my own faith. It's who do I go to get my faith from? So Spurgeon goes on and he says this, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. They went to the right person. They did not say to themselves, I will increase my faith. They did not cry to the minister, preach a comforting sermon and increase my faith. They did not say, I will read such and such a book and that will increase my faith. No, they said to the Lord, increase our faith. Faith's author can alone increase it. God is the only one that can increase my faith. God honors those that have faith in an increased amount, more than the initial amount given. Jesus gives an example of a Canaanite woman that presses Jesus for healing. And this is before that Jesus really came for all people. Okay, Jesus must have been early in his ministry because Jesus was dealing more with Jews than Gentiles. And this scripture makes that evident. Matthew chapter 15, verses 22 to 28. It says this, A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. But he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, let me stop just for a second. This sounds really mean, doesn't it? I mean, this doesn't sound like Jesus talking this way. But understand what Jesus says, he says for specific reasons. All right? So I want us to get past the stage or past the issue in our heart to say, why would Jesus talk so rudely to this woman that's only coming for help? He's doing it for a reason. Now, this is the reason. He says, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. 
Let me go back to Charles Spurgeon because he's got a good commentary on what this verse says. He says this, Jesus Christ always puts faith in the seat of honor. When that poor woman came whose daughter was ill, Jesus said, O woman, great is thy faith. He might have said, Woman, great is thy love. For it was great love that made her force her way through the crowd and speak on her daughter's behalf. Or, great is thy patience. For when he called her dog, she still stuck to him and would not depart. Or he might have said, great is thy courage. For she said, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs. Or he might have said, great is thy wisdom. For she was a wise woman to extract sweets out of the bitters. And to say, truth, Lord, but the dogs eat of the crumbs. But he overlooks all that, and he says, Great is thy faith. Well, if Christ thinks so much of faith, ought we not to esteem it as most highly? Is it possible to think too highly of that jewel which Christ reckons to be the most valuable? If he sets faith in the forefront of the forehead of virtue, and if he regards it as the choicest gem in the crown of the Christian, oh, will it not awaken us to see whether we have it or not? For if we have it, we are rich, rich in faith and promises. But if we possess it not, whatever we have, we are poor, poor in this world and poor in the next. This is the kind of faith that pleases God, and this is the kind that requires a, pers a, a, a close personal relationship with. Now, maybe you're still having a hard time grasping this type of faith and, and, and grasping really... Is this really important or not in the first place to God? But let me give you a, a simple analogy here that might help us look at why it's important to God that we have faith. If I'm dealing with men, all right, you and I, one of the most sincere compliments one man can give another is to tell him that you believe in him, that you have faith in him, that you trust him, that you believe in what he says. If I'm working with a person and if I want to do a business deal with them, a handshake to say, I have faith that what you're going to do, you're going to do. What you said you're going to do, I have faith. That's the great compliment, isn't it? Isn't it awesome to think that people believe in you? See, and we only get that through relationships. I don't have faith in a person. Now, I may have enough general faith in a person to, to believe that when I go up to that person, he's not going to pull a knife out and stab me. I may have enough general faith in basic human nature that he's not going to throw up on me or he's not going to spit on me or he's not going to hit me. But that doesn't mean I have enough faith to trust his word unless I have had a relationship with this man. Unless I've seen him tested and tried and know that what he says is true, and if he says I'm going to do it, then he's going to do it. That comes through relationship. So now let's take this in a spiritual sense. If I'm most compl complimented by somebody saying that they trust in me and that makes me feel good, that pleases me, that, that improves my relationship with that person, don't you think that makes God feel that much better when I say I trust in him? Don't you see the logic in that? To say that, that God is saying, you, it pleases me when you say, I believe you. 
Now I believe you, God. I believe your word. I believe your promises. I believe when you say that you're my provider, you're my provider. I believe you. That gives God great pleasure because now he sees my confidence being placed in him. And I get that more and more, more increasing day after day as I develop my relationship with God. That's why we talk about vertical worship. That's why we talk about having our relationship with God straight and and on fire. When that's straight and on fire, that develops the relationship that I can trust God. And I can believe what he says is true. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who mercy seek him. That's the kind of personal relationship and faith that we need to get to. And this is the progressionary nature of being a Christian. This is, this is, now we're moving to Christianity into a doctorate level. Okay, we're moving ahead. Now we're moving on in life. We have the basic foundational belief on faith that Christ will save me. Now I have the faith that Christ will sustain me. And now that's growing and, and, and I need to do that. I think that, that if we really want to, to dive into faith, and I think we need to do this today because we're going to, because before we start talking about action, which is going to come in another week or so, we need to really understand faith. We really need to understand how important it is that we have it and increasing measures all the time. Faith that doesn't question God's provision no matter what's happening around me. I see an example of three Jewish men in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, here's the situation, they're being required to bow down to a golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. All right, all the people were to bow down. And if you didn't bow down, he was going to kill you. All right, pretty serious stuff. He's not going to just slap your hand. He's going to kill you. All right. And this is the three Jewish boys that were, grew up under Nebuchadnezzar. They were brought in. They were, grew up as princes. And there's quite a story here. So if you go back and read that in Daniel, it's very interesting. But to the end of the st- story here, they're there. And now they're being required, like everybody else, to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar, his golden image, when the horn blows. Well, they didn't bow down. All right. So now this is their answer back to Nebuchadnezzar. If that is the case, our God in whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, this is the cool thing about it, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now what this is telling me, this is I love this story about these three men, because what this is saying is that they have so much faith that God is going to deliver them from the fiery furnace. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was pretty serious about this fire deal. He heated the oven up seven times hotter. In fact, it was so hot that when they ultimately threw these three men in, the soldiers that threw them in were killed by the fire. It was so hot, it killed the men. They got too close, and it it killed the men. It was so hot. All right, now here's the faith that these three guys had, and this is where I think we need to take it today. They said, I believe that God will sustain me. I believe he will rescue me. I believe that I will not be burned up in the fire. But if I do, I don't care. But if I don't, if he doesn't deliver me, he's still my God. 
He's still my God. I'm not basing my belief in who God is based on what he does for me today. I believe because of who he is, he's still my God no matter what happens. And this is where I think that we miss it with faith. We want to, get, we want to make faith the equation for quick healing or quick provision. And I think God is saying, and I think this is the key to our heart here, when we can recognize that faith is not about what God does for me. It's about who He is to me. When I have faith like that, when I can get that level of faith into my spirit, then I can be the parent of a terminally ill child that says, God, I trust you with my child no matter what the outcome, no matter what happens. It's the person that just discovers they have cancer and they say to God, I trust you, God, no matter what happens in this, I trust you. It's the person who loses a business and says, God, I trust you with my future finances. It's the person that loses a loved one and says, God, I know who you are. I still know you have everything under control and I trust you for my future. It's the parent that is a child that's not serving Jesus and he says, God, I have faith in you that you love my child more than I do and I trust that you will wake him up before it's too late. And you never give up praying. You never give up believing. That's the faith that moves God. That's the faith that he says, I'm pleased in that level of faith. You've moved over. You've moved beyond that initial faith of salvation. Now you're moving into faith that moves mountains. You're moving into the faith that moves me. That's the kind of faith that brings miracles and supernatural answers to prayer. And at the same time, that's the type of faith that says, God, if that child dies... I still love you. I still love you. I still love you. Nothing's going to move me from that faith. Why? Because this is a kind of faith that says this. Paul wrote it to the, to the, to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-18. through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And then here it is, this next two verses. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now I can almost stand, I can hear Paul 
when, when, when we re- I can just hear Paul emphatically preaching to the Corinthians, emphatically bringing this point home to say, guys, our faith is not about what I see. Our faith is what I don't see. And what I don't see is so much better than what I see. It's okay to let the light and momentary troubles of this world pass us by. Therefore, I can deal with sickness. I can deal with prosperity issues. I can deal with all kinds of problems because my faith is not based on the temporary. My faith is based on the eternal. That's the foundation of faith that pleases Jesus. So let me ask this morning, are we willing to settle for anything less than this kind of faith? Where are you at? What level? Where are you at? Now, I'm not saying we're all at the same level here. We all have a measure of faith. But here's the encouraging thing for all of us, is that we're all growing. You're growing in your faith, and you need to be growing in your faith daily. So as we conclude, Jackie, would you come? I just want to encourage us all that that this is the walk that God has in store for us. That we are given a measure of faith. And he gives us more faith as we ask, as we spend time with him, as we develop relationship with God, as we learn to worship him and express his awesomeness, he then pours out more levels of faith. I believe when we have this level of faith, this is the thing that's going to make things happen in your life. It's going to be the thing that makes, brings changes in your life. I'm not professing here today that this is going to take away your every problem. Because problems are still required of us to continue to grow our faith. You can read scripture. In fact, at one scripture, I don't remember where it was exactly, but Paul, the reason that Paul was even at the town he was at was because he was ill. And he was ill there, and while they were taking care of him and giving him back to, 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 to strength, he then learned and could write back to them. Paul was ill. Paul was sick. But yet his faith knew, he always knew, that it was a light and momentary problem. And that through the stuff that comes, we learn. Hebrews chapter 11 This is, uh, I think, for all of us to take home with us before we go up into communion. It says, 11, verses 13 through 16. All these people, this is the faith chapter we're talking about now. All these people in in Hebrews chapter 11 were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own If they had been thinking of the country they had left, meaning this earth, they would have had opportunity to return or stay. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And folks, that's where we're at today. That's exactly where we're at today. This is not our home. We're aliens. We're strangers. We're pilgrims passing through God has prepared a place for us now this is a perfect time to come into communion because we're going to celebrate the Lord's table 
and we're going to recognize who he is in, he, in through, his, through the blood and through the, the bread, the, the juice and the bread that represents his, his life and his death and his resurrection. And then also to the future supper that we will have with him. So as we sing a song that Jackie's playing here, I would invite you all that want to come in and have communion with us. We're going to come down. We're going to break bread off the, the loaf that Sandra baked for us. And, and, uh, and we're just going to have the time of celebration of communion. You do not have to be a member of this church to have communion with us. Just know that Jesus is in your heart. It's all we ask. Just make sure Jesus is, the, just make sure Jesus is in your heart. It's all it's about. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's sing and let's just come down and let's just uh, take a few minutes and partake in communion. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. That piece of bread that you hold in your hand is symbolic of the body of Christ. It's symbolic of that night that he knew what was going to happen, and he willingly, he willingly willingly went through the process of dying, shedding his blood, having his body beaten and whipped and so tortured for us. And he looks down at us today and he says, you know, because you have faith in me, because you believe in me today, 
I am so glad I did that. I have no regrets. I have no regrets. Now, here's the question. Are we going to have regrets? I hope not. I hope not. Let's just lift this up. Lord Jesus, I just come before you, Lord, and I thank you for your perfect sacrifice. I thank you, Lord, for what you allowed to happen to your body. I thank you, God, for the beating that you took. And I know that you have no regrets. You didn't have a regret the moment you were doing it. When you were feeling the pain of it, you didn't have a regret, and you certainly don't have regrets today. So, God, I pray, Lord, I pray that my faith would be increased. Increase our faith this morning, God, that we will just continue to believe in you no matter what the outcome of this day brings, that we are so in love with you, Jesus. Praise your name. Amen. Let's partake together. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know what that is? That's faith. That's faith. That is proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. That is faith believing that everything you said in this word, God, everything you've told me about my life, everything you've told me about how I'm going to be sustained in life is true. And I believe it. It's the ultimate compliment we can give God our Father. Let's hold up the cup and let's just thank you for it. Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you, God, that you shed your blood for us. Lord, we don't do this just because it's something we do every month. We do this truly in remembrance of you. Truly thankful, God, that you took on our sacrifice. Truly thankful, to God, that you, be, you became our propitiation of the sins that we had that we could not take care of on our own. God, that you gave us the way to the Father. Jesus, that's what you did. You crossed the gap. You crossed the chasm that no man, that nothing could get across besides by the blood of Christ. And we thank you, Jesus. We honor you. We trust you as we partake now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, it's only appropriate that we take a few minutes to process this. Let's just sing the song that Jackie's playing again. And let's just take a couple minutes here before we go home. I know we've got busy schedules, but let's just take a couple minutes and let's just say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us.
Father, you're so awesome. You are so unbelievably awesome. God, I don't even, I wish I knew a better word. I wish I could come up with a better one, but I can't. You're just awesome. You're just so unbelievably describable, Lord, that we just love you so much and we thank you. Lord, I thank you for your ministry to us. I thank you for visitation with us today. I thank you, God, for faith. Increase our faith. Increase my faith today that I can handle the circumstances of my life. And that I can look to you, God, no matter what the situation, no matter what the wind is and the waves are doing around me, Father, that I would keep my eyes focused on Jesus and that you would sustain me. You would keep me on the waves of my life. You would not let me sink. God, that my faith would be strengthened in you every day, every, through every situation. I willingly give my life to you as you willingly gave you life for me. And I receive you. And I ask you, to be stronger in my life today. I'm so thankful, Jesus. I love you. We praise your name. In Jesus' name.